Well, this morning we are concluding the first chapter in Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. And so far, we have received this letter from the Apostle Paul. And he has greeted us with grace and peace. Grace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He has enumerated the spiritual blessings that God pours forth. He has not um, withheld anything from us. In Christ, he has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And he's listed a few of those. He's chosen us before the foundation of the world. He's adopted us into his family. All of these, like, as you hear these, think of Brody today. Or maybe you think of your own baptism. He's chosen us before the foundation of the world. He's adopted us into his family. He's redeemed us, bought us back by his blood, by his life poured out for us. He's granted us the forgiveness of our sins. He's revealed to us the mystery of his will, which is to unite all things, things in heaven and things on earth in Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Every spiritual blessing is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he's spoken to us of an inheritance. Remember this? A promised inheritance that is yours because all things will be Christ's and you are part of Christ. You are now co-heirs with him. And he has promised you that when heaven and earth come together, it shall be yours and so shall God. And if you doubt this, the guarantee, he's given us a down payment, a guarantee of our inheritance, which is the Holy Spirit. When you heard the word of truth and believed in Jesus, God granted you the gift of the Holy Spirit. Who is the down payment? Who is the assurance? Who is the guarantee, the, the earnest payment, right? That one day we shall include that inheritance in all of its fullness. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, an inheritance that is yours. And the Holy Spirit's been given to you as a promise. And then Paul's, Paul tells us all these wonderful blessings. And then he gets ready to give this prayer, to pray this prayer. And that's what we're getting into today. But there's sort of a transition between. And, it, and he kind of gives us a hint. At when God gives you all of this blessing, what begins to happen in you? What is a natural response? What is produced in you? What then comes out of you? What comes out of you? He says, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love towards all the saints. I do not cease to give thanks for you. Faith and love. Remember last week we went through all these ways in which I just, in the last week, seen examples of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for each other which was a good reminder that God is on the move. God is active. God is working. God continues to bless. God continues to promise. And part of the way that I can discern that is by looking at your lives, because I see faith being produced and called forth. I see love being shared between you and others. And so this morning now we come to the, the end of this chapter, which is a prayer that the Apostle Paul offers I want you to think for a minute, what kind of prayer could Paul offer for a person or a group or a church? This man whose life has been changed, this, this man whose writings and letters to the churches that he planted throughout the, pretty much the known world have made their way into the scriptures, into the Bible itself. What kind of prayer could he pray? But before we get to his prayer, before we get there, we'll get there in a minute, I want you to think for just a minute with me. I want to ask you a question. Um, where did you learn to pray? Um, how did you learn to pray? From whom did you learn to pray? I guess I mean that rhetorically, but I want you to actually think about that. 
reflect on it personally. Where did you learn to pray? We're getting ready to talk about this prayer the Apostle Paul's given us. Where did you learn to pray? How did you learn to pray? From whom did you learn to pray? And so as you're kind of working those things out in your own mind, I want you to uh, just think with me for a minute. I'm going to share just personally, you know, where, where did I learn to pray? How? From whom? And so I guess for me, I was fortunate. I was blessed to grow up in a Christian home. And so our, the, my first experiences in prayer center around the dinner table, around the supper table. I would sit down, we'd hold hands, and Dad would pray for us. And he would pray um, this blessing that at least my grandfather prayed, and I don't know where he learned it, but it, it's sort of our, our table blessing. John Calvin identifies the table blessing as one of the um, really key and essential parts of practicing your Christian faith. It's one of the ways in which God sanctifies us, the table blessing. Well, you know, it happens, it's almost insignificant. It happens just before we eat, and it's quick, and then you move on and have your dinner. But we're fortunate, most of us, to eat at least three times a day. I say at least in reference to myself, because <clears throat> sometimes it's a few more times. But think about it. If you prayed every time you ate, well, suddenly prayers become a regular part of your day, in your life. So the table blessing, John Calvin encourages us in that. This is what my dad would pray. Heavenly Father, accept our thanks for these and all other blessings. Pardon our sins and save us for Christ's sake. Amen. Heavenly Father, accept our thanks for these and all other blessings. Pardon our sins and save us for Christ's sake. Amen. Where did you learn to pray? How did, how did you learn to pray? From whom did you learn to pray? You know, as I sat down at the table over and over again and reached out and held hands over and over again, heard my dad pray over and over again, suddenly I realized I knew this prayer. I knew it. You know, it'll probably be one of those things when I get, if Lord blesses me to grow old, that will probably stick in my head even when I can't remember other stuff. Like, it's just in there, right? But as I got older... I knew it, but as I got older and could reflect on it a little bit, think, think about what this prayer begins, has, has, so the groundwork, the foundation that this has laid for my knowledge of God. Heavenly Father, when I pray, I'm, I, can, I can speak to God as I speak to my Father, but he's not, he's not my Father. He's my Heavenly Father. There's a difference. Right? Heavenly Father, accept our thanks. So God, so God, who I can call my Heavenly Father, is also worthy of my gratitude. Why? Accept our thanks. For these blessings, for these and all other blessings. So, so I never really knew if the blessing was like the food or like the hands that I was holding or maybe all of that. These and all other. So everything that is good in my life, every blessing I have can be attributed and I should give God thanks for it. As a kid, I, that was beginning to work its way into me. Heavenly Father, accept our thanks for these and all other blessings. Pardon our sins. So that God... I can refer to as my Heavenly Father who pours out every blessing. This is like Paul, right? Every spiritual blessing, every blessing is attributable to God. And yet, he blesses me who is also sinful. As a kid, you know you do things that are wrong. So you don't have to work out a doctrine of sin to understand I should. God is the one who can forgive me for that. And in fact, because I am sinful and save us, I, I, I need 
to be saved. And God is the one who can do that. And then at the end, for Christ's sake, that my blessing, that my being forgiven, that my being saved is for Christ's sake, the one who has come and stood in for me. So where did you learn to pray? How did you learn to pray? From whom did you learn to pray? I learned to pray on the table. I learned to pray before bed. We gather as a family, mom, dad, my sister, and I say our prayers. I, I, I was thinking about this week. I remember I would always begin my prayers in the same way. Um, Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and for everything you do for me. And sometimes that was probably it. And I don't even remember anything beyond that. But that was like just the way I started every time. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for everything you do for me. I think I was at least implicitly aware that God does things for me sometimes that I don't even, I'm not even aware of, right? Uh, I remember my dad praying with consistency, lead us um, and guide us and direct us. There's some just kind of snapshots, some little pictures of where I learned to pray, how I learned to pray, from whom I learned to pray. Uh, there were more formal ways, right? So, um, uh, I have a, gra- have a grandmother who loved the Psalms, Psalm 23. So I learned to pray from around the table, uh, before bed, from the scriptures, because she taught me Psalm 23. And so um, the Psalms are called the prayer book of the Bible. It's where Jesus learned to pray. It's the prayers he chose to offer even as he was dying. He was praying the Psalms. Ought to be fairly significant. We've lost that in many ways. So I learned to pray from the Psalms. Learn to pray on the table. Learn to pray before bed. Learn to pray from the Psalms. Learn to pray in worship on Sunday mornings. Go to church. At some point in the service, what would we pray? The Lord's Prayer every Sunday. It was kind of like that table blessing before long. I just I knew it. We'd said it over and over. I, I don't want you to miss the fact that worship, as the gathered people of God, Yes, is a service that we offer to God, is a work that we, that you offer to God, and yet it is also so formative. It is a liturgy. It shapes our hearts. The world shapes our hearts every day in ways that we can't imagine. Um, your TV shapes you. Your cell phone shapes you. The people on TV, the, all the voices you hear shape you and shape your heart and direct your heart towards a particular end, saying this is what is good and you should end up here. And worship is that thing like Joy said, that we, where we can come and allow God to shape our hearts. And I learned to pray in worship. I, Brody's learning to pray in worship. You are still learning to pray in worship. Learn to pray on the table before bed uh, from the scriptures in worship. We can fast forward this a little bit, uh, but, but I want you to ask you again, where, where did you learn to pray? Does that take you back? Where did you learn? To, how did you learn to pray? From whom did you learn to pray? Uh, I remember going to seminary. Uh, met a friend, a dear friend named Tim. He came here. He was at my ordination. Uh, recited one of the Psalms as the call to worship. You may remember him, some of you. Tim was here. Uh, I remember Tim teaching me a prayer, the Jesus prayer. Prayer that's been prayed for centuries upon centuries upon centuries by billions and billions of Christians is like a central uh, prayer in their spiritual life. The Jesus prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's prayed repetitively. I had a professor in seminary, uh, Scott Sunquist, who 
said, hey, as part of my devotion, I pray this, this prayer a hundred times every day. Day in and day out. Jesus' prayer. Uh, I learned to pray that prayer from Tim. So, so I also learned from the tradition, from the past, from the, his, from the history, from the witness of the whole church. Where did you learn to pray? How did you learn to pray? Uh, I remember Tim and I would meet and we would chat. Leslie was amazed uh, at how long we could talk. Uh, but we would go and we would meet at Taza Door. It was a coffee shop just up Highland Avenue from the seminary. I could walk there in about 10 minutes. Um, we would go often on Saturday mornings. We'd sit down. We'd talk two or three hours. Tim would eat his peanuts because he liked to eat peanuts with coffee. I don't know. I mean, you should try it. It's good. Uh, and then we would walk back, and he would turn, take his turn, and go back to his house, and I would continue on, and, and he'd stop and he'd pray for me. And... I can't tell you how he prayed every time, but I can tell you how he began. He would say, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your control over our lives. I thank you for your servant, Michael. That's how he would begin. Does that sort of sound like how I pray sometimes? I mean, I still pray right like, where did you learn to pray? From whom did you learn to pray? How did you learn to pray? I discovered I was being shaped by Tim's prayers, so much so that when I went down the street in the opposite direction to Eastminster Presbyterian and was given charge in an internship of, of discipling a group of folks, when I would meet with them and time to, it was time to go and we would pray for them, I would say, Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your control over our lives. Thank you for your servant, Javon. See how that worked? Where did you learn to pray? From whom did you learn to pray? Uh, how did you learn to pray? Um, Tim introduced me to a man named Origen of Alexandria, 2nd century. And he wrote a book, um, which was, the title was quite to the point, On Prayer. That was the name of the treatise. On Prayer. And in this, I remember um, reading it and coming out of it saying, Origen wants us to pray massive prayers, huge prayers, but not random prayers, prayers that ask God for what we know God already wants to give us. And so Origen said to pray this, that the kingdom of God will be made perfect in your heart. Think about that for a minute. Jesus already said, repent, believe the good news of the gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand. So the kingdom of God is within you. Something God already wants to give to you. In fact, it's what Jesus has come to bring. It's what he's gone to the cross to offer. It's what he's risen again to inaugurate the kingdom of God. Ask, Origen says, ask for the kingdom of God to be made perfect in your heart. And ask that you would be granted total and complete union with Jesus Christ. Paul talks about that in all his letters, union with Christ. That's what happens in baptism. That's what happens at the table. Paul said that when you hear the word of truth and believe in him, the good news of your salvation, you are given the Holy Spirit. You are made one with him, with Jesus. Ask God for what he wants to give you. Could you imagine what you would look like as a person if the kingdom of God was actually made perfect in your heart? If you were totally and completely one with Jesus Christ? Can you imagine what you would look like? What your life would be? Or just pray for that. And so when 
I went up with Elliot Haichu, second birthday. What I pray for him? I asked that the kingdom of God would be made perfect in his heart. That he'd be given perfect union and total and comprehensive and complete union with Jesus Christ as Savior. Where'd you learn to pray? How'd you learn to pray? From whom did you learn to pray? I remember coming here for an interview. Um, I don't remember how long ago. And went in there in the what was the adult Sunday school room, which is now the large children's Sunday school room. We sat down, we scooted the couches around so we could sit in a circle and had a conversation. And it was time to go. And I remember the folks asked Edwina Sluter if she would pray. And I can't tell you exactly what she prayed. I probably come pretty close because I know her pattern of prayer. And I do remember that she prayed with sincerity, with devotion, with humility with trust, with hope, with conviction. And I remember leaving and thinking to myself, I think I'd like to be a part of a group of folks that pray like that. So where did you learn to pray? How did you learn to pray? From whom did you learn to pray? Here's the more important question. Where are you still learning to pray? How are you still learning to pray? From whom are you still learning to pray? I'm learning from you. I'm learning from the elders here. I'm learning from those who gather quarterly for a prayer vigil. We're going to pick this back up. We can do it in social distance. Ten to two. Prayers for yourself, for your family, for the church and the world. I'm learning to pray from you. Where are you learning to pray? How are you learning to pray? Still learning. From whom are you still learning to pray? Paul says this morning, learn from me. Paul knew this letter was a cyclical letter. Paul's not, Paul's not slow on the uptake here. He says, he knows this is going out to the churches. He's writing a prayer. He's telling them what he prays for them. What do you think he expects them to do with that? To pray it. Not to just say, thanks Paul for praying for me but to take that prayer and pray it for others. You want to hear the prayer? Paul says, if you want it, where can you learn to pray? Where can you keep learning? To pray? How can you keep learning to pray? From whom can you keep learning to pray? Paul says, right here it is. Here's the invitation. Um, Anthony Bloom wrote a book. And, it, and I don't know if you can become a master of prayer, but this is one of those uh, saints who have gone before us who you, you could, compared to me, call a master of prayer. And his book is entitled Beginning to Pray. And he says, you are always a beginner in prayer. There are two forms of knowledge, knowledge of God, knowledge of ourselves. That's what we begin to encounter in prayer. The infinite God and your, your infinite soul, God within you, you caught up in God, you're always beginning to pray. So don't, if, you, if, you don't, if, you, if you feel like, hey, I've missed out a whole bunch of my life learning to pray, well, guess what? It's never too late. You're always a beginner. Paul says, I want to take you by the hand and lead you into a prayer that can become yours. Ready? For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, will give you a spirit of revelation, a spirit of wisdom and of revelation, the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches 
of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but in the age that is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. If you'd like to look at that, that's Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. It's just the end of the first chapter of Ephesians. You can find it later. And my invitation to you this morning is to take that prayer. You have to go look it up. Take that prayer and pray it every single day this week. You th- can you do that? I'm making all kinds of promises for you this morning. I promise Brody that you pray for him and nurture him in the faith. I'm, I, you know, like, hey, can you pray that prayer every day this week? It took 30 seconds, right? Um, pray that prayer for yourself. Pray that prayer for those you love, for your friends, for your family. Pray it for folks you totally and completely disagree with. Pray it for folks on the news. Pray it for the President of the United States. Pray it for our leaders in government. Pray it for those who are peacefully protesting. Pray it for those who are rioting in the streets and breaking things. Pray it for... Uh, police and law enforcement across our country. Pray it for those who are engaged in criminal activity. Pray this prayer for yourself, but pray it for everybody you can possibly think of. Could you do that? That's the invitation. So if you're going to do this, um, I want you to sit with it. I want you. I want you to pray it. I, I, I want it to work its way into you. But I'm going to give you one thing that will give you a handle on it. A sense of what you're actually asking. Because Paul's bad with these run-on sentences and all these clauses one after another. But here's, here's the thing. He, asked, he doesn't cease asking, as he remembers you in his prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in What? in the knowledge of Him. Paul is asking that God would allow you to know God. That God would allow you to know Him. And all of us, I think, would say, yes, I, we, we know God. We uh, know Him in Jesus Christ. And we want to know God more. But here's the thing. You cannot, and God has given us so many means by which we can know Him. But we cannot reach up and take God by the coattail and drag him down and say, tell me about who you are. If we are to know God, God must reveal himself to us, which is why Paul prays that we would be given a spirit of wisdom and of revelation. The word here is like unveiling, uncovering, that God would allow, uncover who he is so that we can know him. Spirit of revelation and the knowledge of him. And some things begin to happen. So fundamentally, what you're asking is that you would know God. That God would allow you to know God to ever and ever greater degrees. 
And some things begin to happen. Paul says, you will begin to know the, the hope to which he's called. If you know God, you're going to know, we're facing some tough things. If you know God, all you have is hope. Not just kind of blind hope or blind faith, but hope based on what God has done and what God has promised and who he is. You'll have hope. You'll become aware of the, the richness of the inheritance that is promised to you. Everything, we live so much by fear, fear of loss. And when you know the inheritance that is coming to you, you don't have to live in fear anymore that you're going to miss out or something's going to be taken from you. Because in Christ, the heavens and the earth come together and it is given you. You'll be filled with hope. You'll be assured because an inheritance is coming your way in which nothing that is yours, that Christ has blessed you with, will be lost. And finally, um, you will encounter the immeasurable greatness of God's power. If God allows you to know him, you will encounter the greatness of his power, which is the same power, get this, with which he raised Jesus from the dead. That same power is at work in you. Knowledge of God, knowledge of ourselves. You'll know the immeasurable greatness of his power, which is working in you. Why? Because you're part of Christ's body, him who fills all in all. The church is the fullness, Christ the head, we the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead is working in you. Paul wants you to know Jesus. Paul wants you to know God. Paul wants God to reveal who he is to you in your life. You'll be filled with hope. Peace and assurance because of the inheritance that is promised you. And you will encounter the power of the living God. I think I want that. And I think I want that for everybody. So why don't we pray it for everybody? Now here's the last point. Last thing. Paul has this line. I left it out till now. He has this line. He asked that we would have the eyes of our hearts enlightened. Now, why would Paul say that? Remember, I've said this a few times already. Paul, whose eyes were struck blind, who was physically blinded, so that what? The eyes of his heart could be opened to see the risen Lord. As Jesus revealed himself to Paul on the road to Damascus. Why would Paul ask for the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened? What is he asking? He's asking for the very same thing that happened to him. For God to reveal himself to Paul, he's asking for the same thing that happened to him to happen to you. You see that now? He wants you to know God. God has peeled back the heavens and revealed who he is to the Pharisee Saul who was murdering Christians. He came to know God and was given a spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowing who he is and his whole life is changed. He becomes an apostle to the Gentiles, to the known world. His writings find their place in the Scripture such that we turn to them now. That's the sort of thing that could actually happen to you. Do you believe that? Do you see that? That is the sort of thing that could actually happen to you if God were to give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of Paul was giving you a prayer to pray so that you can be like him. And those sound like nice words, don't they? But what if it actually happened? And what if it actually happened here? 
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.